Welcome to How Do You Write? I'm your host, Rachel Heron. On this podcast, I talk to authors about how they write, what their process is, and how their lives fit together. I'll keep each episode short so you can get back to writing. Hi, writers. Welcome to episode number 40 of How Do You Write? I'm Rachel Heron, and I'm very glad that you're here. Um, I have a cold, as you can hear, so I will keep this portion really, really brief um, because the interview section is fantastic and it is a little bit longer than normal. Um, In my only update right now, writing is going well. I had my tax date with my girls this morning. Um, Every year, two of my besties, Sophie Littlefield and Juliet Blackwell and I, we all go do our taxes together. We go to our tax preparer's house and she does our taxes. While one person is in getting her taxes done, the other two are out writing um, or chatting as sometimes happens. And then whoever gets the biggest refund or who has to pay the least buys lunch. So then we have a nice lunch out by the water and by the, um, estuary and it's fantastic. And I just got home from that. So that's good. Um, that was basically my only big job today was getting that done and doing taxes is stressful and is a big job. Um, but they went okay this year. This was my first year being self-employed full time. And, um, I managed to pay the right amount of estimated taxes and get a refund. And I know that's not the best way to run a business, that whole refund thing. However, I really like it because it stresses me out. Um, it's like a little savings program. Um, Dozy would like to say hello. She's on my lap. And, um, yeah, so our interview today is with Antonia Crane, and you are going to love listening to this. Uh, the reason it is so much longer than normal is because I just fell in love with her within the first five minutes and I just wanted to connect with her and to really have a, I always have real conversations with everybody I interview. However, this one just went off the rails because I forgot to ask questions. Um, the questions that I normally ask because I, I, we were so into just discussing things. I think that you are going to really like it. Her book, Spent, um, should be out in paperback very shortly. So shortly after this episode airs, you'll be able to buy it in paperback or buy it in hardcover right now. Um, It's fabulous. So just sit back, enjoy. I hope that you do not get this cold that is going around. And I also wish for you some really good writing time that you can just sink down into. And um, I will talk to you soon. Okay, enjoy. Hey, you're a writer. Did you know that I send out a free weekly email of writing encouragement? Go sign up for it at rachelherron.com slash write. And you'll also get my Stop Stalling and Write PDF with helpful tips you can use today to get some of your own writing done. Okay, now on to the interview. Well, I am so happy today to welcome Antonia Crane. Hi, Antonia. Hi, Rachel. How are you doing? I'm so good. Thanks for being here. Let me give you a little short introduction for those who might not know you. Antonia Crane is a writer, Moth Slam winner, which is so cool. I'm addicted to the moth. Um, Yeah, I really am. And a writing instructor in Los Angeles. She is the author of the memoir Spent from Barnacle Books, Rare Bird. She has written for the New York Times, Quartz, Atlantic Media, The Toast, Playboy, Cosmopolitan, Salon, and a ton of other places. And her screenplay, The Lusty, co-written with Silas Howard about the exotic Dancers Union is a recipient of the San Francisco Film Society Kenneth Raynan Foundation Screenwriters Grant 2015. She is at work on an essay collection and a memoir. Welcome. Hi. So is the Lusty um, about the Lusty Lady up here in San Francisco? It is. Cool. We had friends yeah. who were, were part of that, and I, I still think it's a shame that it's gone. 
Yeah, they lost their lease. Yeah. Of property value. Yeah. Skyrocketing up there. So. Oh, yeah. And it's just gotten worse since then. So <laughs> gentrification. Yeah. Yes. San Francisco. And I'm really looking forward to reading your memoir, Spent. It seems like that is exactly up my alley and I'm addicted to memoirs and can't wait. So thank you for being here. This show is all about process and writing process from working writers. And so let's just dive right in. Um, what is the best time of day for you to write and where? Uh, because I'm old, writing is best in the morning when I'm fresh. <laughs> I've never had that answer before, but I'm, I'm right with you. <laughs> um, I'm pretty much toast after like four in the afternoon. And so I try to write when I first wake up in the morning, but it's hard because, you know, there's a lot of to do things when you first wake up, but yes. I find I'm freshest in the morning. Um, but I also run. And so sometimes if I'm thinking about something, I'll do some edits. I'll edit something, whether it's some, usually someone else's work, student work or someone that I'm editing their work or my own work. And then I'll go run. And um, I really process stuff while running. Mm. So I'm kind of hoping to talk about that today, like the running and writing connection. I would love to talk more about uh, that. I, I was a runner for a, a long time and then I ran a couple of marathons and then stopped. But um, how long have you been running? Um, I have been running since my mother was diagnosed with cancer in 2004. Mm-hmm. I started running um, and it was a great place to put the anger and the hopelessness and the helplessness. Mm -hmm. And it was actually a good place to put the anger, that cancer anger. And um, so it became a part of my routine. Sorry, I'm messing with my hair. <laughs> that's one of those people that constantly messes with their hair. <laughs> um, and that's when I started. And then I realized that I became, I, I started to sort of depend on writing as part of, or depend on running as part of my writing process. And are you listening to music when you're running or is it just thoughts or? Never. I never listen to music. Yeah. I listen to silence. I love that. <laughs> there is not <laughs> enough silence in this world. Yeah. I really believe that. So do you run every day and write every day? I run most days, probably six days a week. Mm -hmm. I hate days off, but my knees thank me for it. Mm. Um, I write something every day, whether it's longhand or what I call glimmers, which is like a one mm. scene, something that arrested my attention or, you know, also editing, I think of as writing. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. I write every day. I'm very blue collar about my writing. Do you write every day? I do. I am super blue collar. I'm like yeah. a, I'm like a eight to five kind of gal. Yeah. yeah. Just, I just, I just produce words. And actually today I'm really frustrated because today is a 2,500 word day and I'm only halfway there and it's one o'clock and I'm just irritated yeah. with myself because that should have been done hours ago. Oh, but, but it on, will. Take it easy on yourself. It'll... <laughs> it's very hardworking. <laughs> now I was reading a couple, I, I was listening to a couple of your intros before you, you have a couple of projects. I have a lot of projects on my plate. I am. I'm, I'm working on a thriller right now. I just had a a mainstream come out and a feminist romance, a couple of feminist romances this year. And um, and I'm teaching at Stanford or Berkeley. I'm coaching, but this uh -huh. inter but this interview is as and and I'm trying to write a, a book on memoir, um, on writing memoir. Wow, but well, this, you're incredibly prolific. I I write a lot. Um, but this interview is not about me. Nice diversionary tactic there. <laughs> Where where do you like to write? Uh, I like to write at home. Yeah, right where you are right now. Is that? Yeah, this is my this is my closet office. You're looking uh, at it. I've always wanted a closet yeah. office. 
this is my closet office. <laughs> and I also like, I like writing on the couch. Yeah. I like writing in cafes to get out of the house. Yeah. And um, yeah, the space, I'm pretty flexible with space. Um, however, I do need quiet. So that's why being at home is really helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, and never music for writing either. Is that right? Rarely. Yeah. I am easily affected by sound. Me too. A lot of times I'll use the white noise, um, yeah. especially if I'm in a cafe and can hear voices, then I mm-hmm. need to I need to tune them out. Otherwise, I'll be all the way into their conversation. Right. But, but otherwise, yes. Yeah, That's interesting. Um, it depends how sensitive and how tired I am. Um, if I need to drown out the world, which is usually, I, I, I write best at home. If I, if I feel like I need to be around other people, and that's an important part of my writing process sometimes is just being around other people working. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like writing is solitary, but it's also a community. Mm-hmm. And it's like going to the gym. Part of going to the gym is being around other people working out. Mm-hmm. Even if you, I, I spend a lot of time tuning them out or trying to tune them out, it is, there is something nice about feeding off that energy. I have always... Being, people. I've always had a little fantasy about belonging to a co-working space, but not a co-working space, which <clears throat> up here in the Bay Area is all about, you know, bro tech. Um, but a writer's co- a co-working space where everyone around you is working on fiction or nonfiction. Wouldn't that be cool? It's great. And I also, I have that here in LA. We have a really great thriving writing community mm-hmm. and there's a lot of Antioch people, Tony Ann Johnson's an Antioch person. And we often do writing days where we get together and it's literally, hi, hi, and you just, you're staring at computers for hours. I love that. I love that. I do have a group of friends I do that with. Yeah. Yeah. So it's important to have, for me to have at least half a dozen people I can do that with. Yeah. Yeah. And we can talk for 15 minutes and then we can just be on our computers for hours. Yep. Yep. And we've been doing it for years. Oh, that is so nice. That is is awesome. Um, where things I'm working on right now. What are you working on? Um, I also, you were talking about, I was getting you to talk about your stuff cause I thought we had some stuff in common. Like yeah. I'm all, I also have a book coaching thing. I have her edits that I need to, I did a phone call with her and I need to get her, her edits this morning. I have, um, the memoir that is in my bio that I was working on. Yeah. I was curious about I actually that. turned it into a screenplay. Ooh. So I'm working in some different forms right now, which is really fun. Um, I do, I've, I've written a ton of essays and I need to write an essay right now on financial domination. Ooh, I am passionate about writing about <laughs> about women in finances and, oh, really? and and telling the truth. And I've written a lot about um, debt and shame. And yeah. there's just there's just such a there's such a closed silence around a lot of that. That uh, where what angle are you taking on that? Um, so I've been talking to people and watching some things that have been written already uh, on Vice and stuff on financial domination. I'm not sure what financial domination is. Financial domination is a type of sex work where women get men to pay for their lives. Oh, I have read about that. It's a BDSM scenario Uh and it's extreme submission where the man gives the woman often the passcodes to his bank account and they often even never meet in person and they, there's often never any sex at all involved. Uh-huh. It's just literally a BDSM relationship that involves um, giving away the power of the money. Yeah. And so to me, I'm not sure what angle I'm taking on it. I'm just, I'm gathering information. My sense of it is that, um, you know, I'm kind of, a, I'm obsessed with, you know, I'm obsessed with 
loneliness and loss and connection, human connection and, and where sex work plays into that. Um, and so my question for the people I've spoken with is what is missing? What is missing in your life that you seek to fill this hole with a woman you'll never meet or have sex with? What is missing in your life that you would seek out that type of relationship? Cause I feel like there's a lot missing. I feel like we're a culture obsessed with connection and like Twitter and all these dating apps and connect, connect, connect. But are you connecting? Mm -hmm. Are you really, really mm -hmm. is that connection or is it a, what is missing that you seek these kind of pretend uh, connections? I really want you to write that so that I can read that. Read that. That is 100% fascinating. I met a man yesterday. Um, I'm super crispy today because I got in at four in the morning um, because I am a 45 year old stripper. And um, I don't know if you knew that about me. I, I did. Yeah. That I still dance. And um, so this man walks in. And this always happens to me, by the way. Um, and I was like, hey, you know, I just greeted him. And he's like, oh, go talk to my friend Dan. I'm like, okay. He's like, his wife just passed away. And I'm like, perfect. And so I go find this man. And he said, hey, you know, he just literally walks in. And is like, my wife passed away. And I'm like, this afternoon? And he's like, no, five <laughs> days ago. And I was like, how long were you together? And he said, 40 years. Holy you know, shit. Which cancer did she die of? I don't know why I said that. And he said, pancreatic. Oh. And I was like, my mother died of a oh. similar like, bile duct. And I, and I was like, did she do the Whipple? And like, we got, you know, 30 seconds in and I held him in my arms. And I just held him really tightly in a lap dance. And he started crying. Oh, I bet. And he, and it's just like, this is why sex work exists. Yeah. Because people need to be embraced and they can have permission you know, he didn't know he was going to speak to a woman who was like 21 years sober, whose mother had died and who's gone through like people dying in my arms the last few years. Mm. He would, I was just going to hold him there in a dance and that he was just going to cry in a woman's arms. Like that, that is what, that's, what's missing. Like, this is what's missing. That is incredible. That kind of connection. It happens to me all the time. I do this. I do this thing where I assist um, with uh, full impact self defense for women, which is the kind oh. where the where the assailant wears the big padded suit, and we train yeah. the women to not Called, uh, um, uh, we impact. impact. Yes, yes, I'm I'm part of the. I love I love impact. But the thing, the, one of the many reasons I do it is um, to watch women who are broken, traumatized, etc., like for their whole lives have these incredible transformations and learn how to set not only boundaries physically and fight back for their physical safety, but um, watching them learn how to set and establish and maintain boundaries in every aspect, in sex, in at home, at work. Um, and the reason I do it is is because at the end, you know, at the beginning of these classes, they're 24-hour classes, so it's four days. The beginning of the classes, we look at each other as we look at normal people in the grocery store. Hello, how are you? How, how's it going today? And by the end of the course, there's such a connection between each woman in the room that is heart, soul, you know, we, yeah. we, we know each other. And there's, and there's so much holding that goes on and holding of space and holding of bodies. Yeah. And, and that connection is, is just unparalleled. And we don't find that often. We find it with the ones we love if we're lucky. Yeah. But you find it at work. You found it last night. Um, I don't find it with the ones I love that often. Mm. <laughs> um, or, you know, or, you know, do we find it with the ones we love? Um, or is intimacy for strangers, like I've heard? There, There is an intensity 
to that intimacy between strangers and that uh, uh, willingness to give yourself completely to another person for that 30 minutes that you're with them. Yeah. Is what I found. And you do give a different part of yourself, I think. I think so too. Huh. So yeah, that's what I'm writing. That's the essay that I need to be, I need to pound out a rough draft of that today. So that's my writing goal. I'm going to write this down as we talk because you're helping me write my writing goals for the day. (laughs) Good. Um, the screenplay, um, I have a feature screenplay that I'm working on, but the screenplay that I really, the movie that Silas Howard and I have been working on for years and just got the grant for, you know, it's so interesting. Um, the process of writing a feature is so, it takes so long. How so? Um, cracking the story, cracking Mm. the narrative arc, um, the union, because there's the union story that happened, which I was yeah. a part of in 1998, 1996, 1998. Um, there's my paycheck from the Lessie lady. Oh, yay. I have all this exotic dancers alliance. Stuff can you, can you explain to listeners who don't know about the union? Sure. Um, so, you know, in the nineties, uh, I was a sex worker who was just getting sober and I marched into a peep show behind glass, the Lusty lady. There's one in, there was one in Seattle and there was one in San Francisco because I was freshly sober and I wasn't, didn't want to do the high impact dancing that I'd been doing because I was afraid I wasn't going to be able to stay sober. And what happened was, um, the women behind glass who were dancing nude were startlingly intelligent. And it was like a slumber party atmosphere with startlingly intelligent, highly educated revolutionary women. And most of whom were activists or belly dancers or artists or social workers or teachers and mothers and all ages, queer, bi, everything. And um, men were sneaking in cameras in these one-way booths where we couldn't see the customers, but they could see us. And they were filming us without our permission or consent and distributing it on the internet, or so we were so afraid because the Mm -hmm. internet was kind of a new and scary thing in 1994. Um, so we decided to fight it. And, uh, while we were fighting that, we also fought for better labor practices, less racist practices, hiring and firing policies, pay raises, sick leave, being able to cover our shifts. And it took two years to fight, but we won our labor war and we became the exotic dancers union. And it was revolutionary in its, it was in its sphere. Of successfully unionized. There was one other strip club that unionized, but they didn't keep it. Hmm. Um, it was um, dismantled, which, you know, can be done. And then it became the first uh, women owned and operated and managed uh, and owned because they became a collective, the first sex, mm-hmm. uh, the first peep show that was a collective like rainbow grocery. So, um, so, you know, there's the union story and that's a great story, but you know, think of Norma Ray. Like the thing, the reason why Norma Ray works is because of Sally Field's character mm-hmm. and you watch her and her life is a shit show and it's horrible. Like her life is fucking horrible, horrible. Yeah. <laughs> and her mom is sick and, and Ellen Brockovich. Yeah. Same, same Their thing. Their fucking lives are horrible. Right. And so like you care about that character. And so we had to like f- figure out these characters and it always was a chorus because um, it was a chorus for a long time. It was all these characters and it's like, well, we actually need two characters. Um, so anyway, but it is, there's all these tertiary characters which are important, but it's mainly these two characters. 
And you're going to love these characters. You're I can, gonna love them. I can't wait. I literally, <laughs> I want to go to the premiere when you're it's up here. <laughs> I mean, and I've been working so hard. You know, it was important for us to have a woman of color to be our main character. Awesome. So um, we have a woman of color being our main protagonist. And then we have young Anna, who is come from a born-again Christian family in Concord, and who needs to come out as gay and needs help and, you know, fantasizes about being a prostitute, you know, like yeah. all, like we all do when we're 11 and 12. <laughs> At least I did. I, I did. I have to admit. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> and, and so you can relate to her and her need to escape her family. What is, what is the co-writing process like? How how much of it are you writing between the two of you? We have been going back and forth with this for years. Okay. And I have a beautiful and exciting and rich relationship with Silas Howard as a collaborator. Silas is an exciting and a hardworking and creative powerhouse. Um, Silas directed um, Transparent. Yes, uh, that's why I know the name, which I... This is us, Transparent. Silas is the first trans director of transparent yes i remember um, reading about him and sticks and stones you should look on his website he has great stuff on there um bambi lake story and we were deeply embedded in the same 90s culture like we were a spoon fed with the same 90s culture and we've always loved each other's work and i love collaborating i love collaborating i just love it you know um and it's just been really rich we, we go back and forth we've been across the country and been on phone calls that had, you know, dropped the call nine times because I'm in some weird fellowship in um, upstate New York and, you know, dropping the calls 10 times and then we email and then get together and then I'll go to wherever he's teaching. And now we're finally in the same city. Nice. We're very close to each other. So we can like meet for lunch and, and talk shop. Um, so it's been fantastic. You know, it's been absolutely fantastic. That sounds super, super exciting. Yeah. I love collaborating. I'm also working with Lizzie Borden on a pilot that's a modern feminist Western set in I'm in. (laughs) That's been really wonderful. I think I'm your newest, biggest fan. I'm just going to follow everything that you do. So I hope you don't mind. Yeah, we need to. We need more sex worker stories. You know, do you know who Lizzie Borden is? I don't. Born Born in Flames. Mm -mm. She directed and wrote Born in Flames and Working Girls. Um, she's just, she's a feminist icon and working uh, girls, like the old working girls, not Melanie Griffith, but the one that was like a real document of a prostitution. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I'm working with her and she's great and I love collaborating. I'm dying to get in the writing room and collaborate more. It's been, cause you know, as a writer, like we write our essays and we're alone, alone, alone. You know, it's like, that's great, but it's so fun to collaborate. I've never collaborated with anyone on anything. God, just, it's so great. I, I love just it can't so imagine it. It sounds so attractive, but also really scary. And I love, I actually yeah. love things that are scary. So yeah. that you means eventually it. I'll work toward that. Yeah. You should do it. Yeah. I mean, I never thought I would want to. And, um, but it turns out I've been working alongside naked women my entire adult life. Mm-hmm. And so why wouldn't I be great at collaborating? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I love it. I've, I really love it. I've thrown all the interview questions out the window because this is way more interesting <laughs> anyway. But as a writer is such a new animal. Th- what was that? It's such a new animal yeah. collaborating as a writer. Yeah. are with your material and alone for hours and hours. And, um, and then you get this other person, you know, who has their uh, ideas and new eyes on your work. And I'm so hungry for eyes on my work and ideas that 
like it's really fun to to mesh with someone. What do you do if you have have you had say with Silas? Have you had any sticking points that you're just like I can't do that and he says I well I can't do it your way. No. Yeah. <laughs> um, there are things as a director that Silas is going to bring that I just fully don't understand and have no idea how to do. And so I depend on him for that. And I know what I bring to the table and what I bring to the table is authenticity because I was at the lusty and I was a sex worker and a writer during that time. That's what I was so going to ask you. Were you writing at that time? Um, yeah. have you always been a writer? I've been a writer. Okay. So in the third grade, what, nine years old, we had to write down what we wanted to be when we grew up. And I wrote singer, dancer, writer. Oh, I was a singer in a band for eight years. I've been a dancer my whole fucking life. And writer was the third thing because I think it was the thing that most scared me. Oh, and um, so I always wanted to be a writer. I love that. Yeah, yeah. me too. Notice how none of them are actual viable jobs. I know they don't they don't pay very I, well. I know, but I come from like a law family, a lo- oh, like a lawyer God. and sec- lawyer and a paralegal, and I was like writer dancer like most people were like teacher nurse I'm like nope writer dancer I mean if I knew the word for stripper when I was nine I would have written stripper (laughs) I really think that we know ourselves really well I think we come out of the womb already really really in our own space and I remember when I was I I really do like even even animals like my the the biggest asshole cat that I've ever had came out as an asshole I had him at three weeks he remained an asshole his entire life and that was just who he was and um that's our assholes.com exactly and um but I remember when I was about nine same age I wanted to be a writer who had a lot of boyfriends but Mm. lived with a woman and I didn't I didn't know the word for bisexual then I just, oh, yeah. I, I didn't think it was a thing that could happen. And now I'm gay married and, and, but I'm, I'm not gay because I, I, I love that, you know, just everyone. And, right. but back, you know, how did I, I didn't have the language at nine, but I already knew. And I knew that writer was the one thing that I need to be. That's so interesting. Yeah. And how did you know that? I don't know. You just knew. You just, you just know, you just, you just feel it. Is there anybody though who like I, I at nine goes, I want to be an actuary, you know, I don't know. Yeah. A, I don't know if that's a thing. Yeah, you know, I just thank God I didn't want to be a model or an actress. I would have, I would have blown my brains out. Well, that's that just sounds that sounds really <laughs> that sounds really miserable. Oh my God. Oh my God. Let I me feel so let me glance at my questions and see if there's anything I don't want to miss with you um, before we run out of time. Um, is there anything of the questions that you looked at that you're like, oh, I have a really good answer for that? God, you know what's funny is I was obsessing on the answers that I don't have. I was obsessing Ooh, like on the what? answers that I don't have Tell an answer me. for. So maybe we can work it out together. Yeah, we can let's collaborate. Do it. Let's collaborate. Let's do on it. <laughs> I'm going to make you collaborate with me. <laughs> so one of your questions was, because um, I printed them out this morning, um, was what's the worst writing advice you've ever been given? But I heard you also ask somebody, what's the worst writing advice you've ever given? Oh, did I accidentally say that? <laughs> I might have, I might have accidentally said it that way. Hear that? What? But I want to ask you. I didn't do it on purpose. But what's the worst writing advice you've ever given? Well, I was obsessing over these questions because I'm not sure. Like, oh my god, what did I? What have I done? What have I done? (laughs) I will tell you one of the things that I have done, and I know I've done this, is I definitely have preached the whole like you must, you know, if you can write every day, stay in the moment, stay on task, on goal. But then just recently, um. On this show, somebody said, you know, but that is that that can involve shame that can wrap somebody up in the shame of not being a good enough writer because they don't write every day. 
And I was like, oh, oh. damn. Uh, I don't know. I think you should tell people to write every day. Um, I think that's great advice because inspiration walks when she walks. You know, she doesn't come every day. And uh, so the worst advice I've ever been given, you know, I, and as I was thinking about that question and nervous about it, because I didn't know if I had an answer, <laughs> um, I was thinking about, wow, I've really been given some amazing advice because I've had the most amazing mentors in the world. Ooh. Um, Steve Almond, Cheryl Strayed, Ellen Heathcock, Pam Houston. You've had great ones. I've had the most amazing mentors ever. And I'm looking at the size of Fransky note. Um, that he gave to me and he said, don't listen to anyone, especially if they have power. And then I told him that he told me that. And he's like, I never said that. <gasps> That's awesome. Um, but what I tell people is, uh, here's Sisa Fransky's notes. Dig deeper. When you've gone deeper, go even deeper. You can't really go deep enough. Oh, when I was writing my, um, my memoir, it was a, a collection of essays themed, and I would write these essays, and I would write them as deep and dark and hard as I could, and mm -hmm. I would send them to my editor, and she would she would circle the one sentence that I wasn't brave enough to really go further into, and she'd, uh -oh. and she'd say, throw the rest of the essay out and go there, because that's yes. where it is. And, oh, I love And I that. hated that, but that, I learned so yeah. much from it. I make people, I say, um, in my classes, I say... What is the thing that you don't want anyone to know about you? Yes. And write three things that you're afraid to write about. And I said, and then I say, these are the things you're going to write in my class. Yes. I do the same thing. I have this, I have this practice where um, I tell the students. And I say, if you're afraid, you're going to make fear your dance partner. Oh, oh I love that. I, I ask my students to, um, we take, we take 10 or 15 minutes and I tell them to write the most taboo thing. Mm. that they would never tell anyone else. And I tell them that they're going to rip it up at the end. This will be shredded. No one will ever see it, but write it out right now. And then at the end, I give them the option whether or not they want to shred it. And we talk about how taboo actually means sacred. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. And, um, and many of them hold on to it because it's finally out of their body and they can look at it and go, oh, wow, I did it. Mm -hmm. But, you know, and then if you want to rip it up, that's fine too. But there is so much in that, in that opening up of that dark space. Yeah. Um, there is one thing that happened that I'll share because it's scary and you said taboo. So I think we should go there. Do it. Do it. <laughs> I was at Esalon and, um, do you know, Samantha Dunn. I don't. She's incredible. Um, she's an incredible writer. She wrote, um, failing Paris. Ooh. Um, so she's one of also one of my favorite mentors and, um, we were in the big tent at Esalon and, um, she, it, I think the exercise was something like. And I don't want to butcher it, so I'm just going to paraphrase. It was just something like, um, like what's the most, you know, you know, in the let your dragons rise theme, what is the scariest thing um, that you've ever, that you're, what is the thing you're most afraid to write about? And someone got up in the middle of like, you know, 300 people or whatever, maybe 150. It was a tent full of people. And this person revealed um, sexual abuse that she had done to another child. Wow. And wow. then she proceeded to have a psychic, a psychotic break and leave the retreat. And it had a lot of fallout. Um, but I was wow. I, the people that was like, and her roommate 
what didn't know what to do during the psychotic break. And I, I had an extra bed in my space. So the community, it was interesting to see kind of the fallout and what happened in that space. But, you know, I was just thinking that, you know what, you unleash the beast and the beast comes in the room. That is a very good thing to keep in mind. So keep that in mind. To know it. Yeah. And I think it's bad advice because I think that that was a really important and interesting exercise. But I also think that um, if you unleash the monster, the the monster will come. Now I'm terrified to teach that section again. (laughs) The monster will come to the party and and you've got to, you know, prepare, you've got to prepare, you know, as a... I taught, you know, after school programs for years for kids. I worked with kids for years and, you know, I'm a mandated reporter. Mm-hmm. And so I wasn't scared of what happened because I was taken out of an art school because I had to file two um, incident reports in, mm-hmm. or like I filed three incident reports in two days. Oh my God. My kids were writing about self-harm and violence. And this is what happens when you let your dragons rise. Yeah. I, uh, my day job before I turned full-time writer, I spent 17 years as a 911 dispatcher for fire and medical. So, ah, wow. so there's, wow. there's, you know, all day given CPR instructions and listening, as I always say, listening to the very first moments of the worst day of a person's life. And mm-hmm. so I think that's why I like teaching memoir and why I love teaching memoir because I am able to face and hold space for trauma. Um, and there always is, you know, that's the thing about memoir writers is that it is a place for writers to come and place their trauma. So it is something to really keep in mind though. It is in a huge group setting. Yeah. 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 Um, and so on that note, I guess to answer your question, I would say there is no bad writing advice. Just write every day. I'm with you. I'm really with you on that. Because... I really honestly couldn't think of a single thing that anyone had told me that was bad writing advice. That's excellent. That's yeah. great. Now, Jim Crusoe told me to stop reading Kate Braverman. <laughs> and did you? make any sense. Yes. <laughs> because I was putting on that hat and I was cooking in Kate Braverman's kitchen. Ah. And only Kate Braverman can okay. use Kate Braverman's utensils. Oh, yes. And I, it was making me go a direction that wasn't making any sense. It's funny how you can feel that, though, when you're going in the wrong direction with your own voice. Mm-hmm. You really can. What other question on my list um, were you were you stumped by? How about on really bad days, if you couldn't strip, write, oh, that's or easy. teach, what would you do? Be Beyonce. <laughs> that's easy. That's super easy. Or be Madonna. Yeah. Either yeah. either one would work. I think I'm, I would lean toward Beyonce at this point because Beyonce is fucking rad. Yeah. Or be a full-time porn star. I would have probably gotten into porn because I would probably have more money. Um, Why didn't you? I'm too self-conscious of my body. (laughs) Honestly. That's that's ironic. I know. It's weird because... Yeah, I'm not an actress. I mean... Uh, Well, yeah. You're a writer. I'm a writer. Mm-hmm. And I'm a performer. I'm a singer. I'm a live show. Mm-hmm. I'm a live performance. But and I don't I don't love to be on film. There you go. That's why. Conscious. People like to put me in their films. But I'm too present. I'm too present. Uh, I think in order to be a talented actress, you have to be kind uh, of... Uh-huh. You have to be 
become invisible to yourself and you have to be able to be an empty vessel. I'm too full. Oh, I love that. I you know, absolutely I love that. Yeah. <laughs> I respect it very much though. Yeah. What would you, what would you be if you had to do another profession? Wow. I, I, I say this and uh, my friend Jay Thorne said it on the show, but I was, I was astonished when he said it because I never thought anybody else had this thought, but, um, I would be a toll taker on, oh. on a bridge just because I want that immediate connection with a complete stranger that is instantly mm-hmm. broken that can be wrote, 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 wrote to suddenly right there and then back to wrote. That's interesting. I think it's, I think it would be an amazing people watching opportunity that or that or very fictional. Yeah. I have thought about it. I love I have, that. idea. I actually. have thought about that. Yeah. I think that's going to be a character in one of my novels coming up. That's a good idea. <laughs> so that's kind of it. I mean, and, Oh, I would like to ask you though, that. if you were starting over as an, a new writer right now, what mm-hmm. advice would you give baby Antonia? you're 17 and you desperately want to be a writer. What would you tell yourself? Read everything, Mm. read everything, be a voracious reader. That's the one thing that has helped me become a better writer. Yeah. Reading and writing. I think, um, are the the two things. Yeah. Just shut up and read and stop talking about being a writer. Do you still read a lot? Yeah. Yeah, Everything all the time. Me too. Over and over. Often the same thing over and over and over. I never Uh, reread things. I reread everything. I feel like I want to read reread everything, but I I almost feel like this life is only X amount of years long and I've only got this much time to read all those books. But I did hear a great tip um, for people who feel that way like me recently is I have a friend who's rereading all of the books she wants to reread on tape, on Audible. Mm-hmm. So she's sure. getting a different experience and she's also doing it when she's driving, when she's walking, yeah. you know? Yeah, I like that. I love that. So read everything, old, new all of it. Just read everything and take notes and underline and highlight. Mm. Yeah. And so when you learn how to be a, a reading, a, a writer who reads, then you, you've reached a different level. You're not just reading for entertainment and that will change your writing. My wife and I were talking about it last night. Um, we both agree that now we read slower than we ever have. Yeah. Um, she's a, she's a graphic artist. And mm-hmm. so she takes books apart for story and I take books apart for story and language. And it seems like the older I get and the more, of a writer, I become the slower I read and, and digest yeah. and think. Do you use a Kindle by any chance? Not on the regular. There, there is a way um, when you highlight things, even if they're highlighted in your library books on the Kindle, mm-hmm. which I do, then they get saved in the Amazon cloud, what, however we feel about that. But then all those right. quotes are there. They're That's all kept. Cool. I and like I, that. I really like that. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, I haven't really been as attracted to Kindle as I wish I were. Um, but I have read on Kindle. Um, I think I read Catherine Harrison's The Kiss on Kindle um, recently. But I've got, I do like, I like the book. You know, I'm reading uh, Meredith yeah. Hall's Without a Map right now. Oh, I was just reading about that. What do you, what do you think about it? It's absolutely beautiful. Uh, uh. Yeah, I wept. There's a chapter, it's seven or eight. It's called actually Without a Map. It's the title chapter. And a student, um, my TA for my intermediate essay class at UCLA, thought I might like it because I'm the, okay, so the book, the memoir, you were like, at work on a memoir, the memoir in addition to Spent that I was working on, that I've been working on for 27 years, 
is uh, about the year that I spent in India as a 15 year old girl. Oh my goodness. Um, and I've been writing it for 27 years and I'm turning it into a feature. Um, but it's very much like without a map because that girl goes wandering and, um, so ends up selling her blood and, um, to survive and drinking the breast milk of strangers on the side of the road to live after she gives a baby up for adoption mm. age 15 or 16. And, um, so anyway, I was reading without a map and I just, I was just at my, where I am sitting right now. And I just wept, I just wept. And then, and I've read it that section three times since mm. then to see what it's doing and how it does that. Mm-hmm. Cause you know, there's tons of books and there's also Ariel Gore's, um, uh, heart, the heart, something about the heart. Um, is it new? No, it's a few years old. Okay. Ariel Gore, um, something has heart in the title on it, but it has to do with traveling, a traveling experience that she had and she gets pregnant abroad. Um, but it's beautiful. There's something I'm fascinated with about maybe it's the, the stripper in me, uh, the gypsy in me that I'm a sucker for the traveling lost woman who hurls her body at the world. I love that. That is, um, yeah, that's my jam also. Really? So you would love Meredith Hall's. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I, that's, that's exactly why I've been thinking about it. Um, I'm doing a, a retreat writing retreat in Venice in April. Um, and I'm going to kind of hurl myself at a collection of essays from that week by myself too. Fantastic. Yeah. I'm super excited about it. Oh my gosh. You're so excited. To, you're so exciting to talk to. You're so and we've, fun. And we've completely, completely run out of time. And but I, Thank but I hate so this. Much. I want about just one quick question though. The memoir is it a complete memoir, and then you're taking it into the screenplay, or are you just are you setting the memoir to the side and beginning the screenplay uh, with it as the base? Um, I'm using it as a base, as okay. a jump off point. Um, my memoir spent is coming out in paperback in two months. Um, and I've already um, got it for the Kindle. Oh, you have it already (laughs) for the Kindle. Yeah. I haven't read it, but I can't wait to. Um, so that is coming out in March. The memoir that, um, I'm, I'm using as a base for a screenplay. I'm fictionalizing it. Oh, okay. Interesting. So I'm fictionalizing it a a tad because, oh, which is really happening right now. That's really a a kind of a trend almost in literature. I've noticed. Yeah. Uh, Michael Chabon's recent, um, newest book is, is fictionalized memoir. Um, Okay. Yeah. Here's something you'll enjoy though. Super quick is like the reason why I'm fictionalizing it is here's an epiphany I had last year is I was talking to this, um, this wonderful Lebanese director that I want to attach to it, who was attached to the project. And she's like, you know what? We can't do this as your life is, as it really happened. And I was like, why? She's like, it's completely commercially, commercially unviable because it's too fucking hopeless and too fucking dark. (laughs) Oh, but I love dark. I want to give you, I want to give you money to tell me a dark story. It's right. <laughs> she's like there's no way in hell we can do that. It's not commercially. She's like your life and what happened isn't commercially viable. <laughs> I'm like that's the most romantic thing anyone has ever said to me. Will you marry me? That's actually puts like a nice hopeful ending on it too. Is that that just let that be your ending? <laughs> yeah, let that be my ending. <laughs> That's wonderful. Right, well, I'm gonna track you down. I'm gonna. Oh, please tell listeners because I've, I've completely forgotten we're on a podcast and I'm just hanging out with my friend now. Will you tell? <laughs> will you please tell us where they can find you online and all of that? 
I'm the easiest person to stalk in the world. It's just um, AntoniaCrane.com is my website. I'm Antonia Crane on everything, on Twitter, on the Instagram. I'm okay. not exciting. I don't have any weird name. I'm uh, just, you know, I'm transparent. Okay. Antonia Crane everywhere. So awesome. On the Twitter, everywhere. Antonia, thank, thank you so, so, so much. Thank you very, thank very, you. very much. All right. All right. Bye. Take care. Thanks so much for joining me on this episode of How Do You Write? You can reach me on Twitter, Rachel Heron, or at my website, rachelheron.com. You can also support me on Patreon and get essays on living your creative life for as little as a buck an essay at patreon.com slash Rachel, spelled R-A-C-H-A-E-L. And do sign up for my free weekly newsletter of encouragement to writers at rachelheron.com slash write. Now go to your desk and create your own process. Get to writing, my friends.